Friends, let's open in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm all about the table of contents in our Bibles. If you're looking for 1 Peter, it's after Hebrews and James. And as you're flipping there, I want to give you a heads up that Peter is going to say some incredible things about the book that you hold in your hands that you're flipping to our passage. He's going to tell us that this book is alive. He's going to tell us that this book abides with us, that it's actually going to last forever, that it's full of good news, that when you read it, you taste and you see that the Lord is good. We're going to do something of all of those things today when I read for us from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Here now, God's living and abiding word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Father, this book is alive. Allow us to feel its living warmth. You say this book lasts forever, allow us to feel that it will never fail us. You say this book is full of good news, I pray when we search its pages, we would see the gospel of grace. You promise these things in your word, I pray that we would know them, study them, search for them, memorize them, and believe them, because this is your gift to us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys know that for five weeks following Easter, we've been walking through a series on how to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We have celebrated the fact that Jesus died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and now we have a relationship with the living Christ. And we want to know as believers... How do we grow in that relationship with him? How does that deepen? How does that strengthen? How are we moving closer and closer towards Christ? And we're hearing in this series that that growth comes through very plain, very ordinary, very everyday pathways that God has given us. We've talked about two already, the pathway of creation and prayer, Today we're going to talk about the word, then we're going to talk about mission and friendship. These are five pathways that God provides to us that if we will walk in them faithfully by the power that he gives us, we will grow in our relationship with Christ. We will actually look more and more like Jesus. Have you ever noticed that the worst products have the best commercials? There's a direct correlation between the lamer the product and the better the commercial, right? I mean, I'm thinking about light beer and Doritos. I mean, as bad as the product is, the the commercials are amazing. Well, anyway, I saw an incredible commercial for the car Saturn. It was a great, great commercial. Maybe you've seen it before, long ago, when Saturn had commercials. Uh, There's a dad, he's sitting upstairs, and he hears this thump, thump, thump and he looks out his window and his boys are in the front yard 
And one of them is pitching a baseball to the other, and they're using his Saturn as the backstop. And the ball is just hitting the door of the Saturn. Thump, thump, thump. So the dad says, no, 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 and starts running down the stairs. No, 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 no. Runs out the front door. No, 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 no. And you think he's going to say something about the car, but he doesn't care about the car because the Saturn is made of plastic and it doesn't matter. He's concerned about the way his son is squaring up to the plate. He says, no, you got to stand like this. Square up, choke on the bat, get ready, keep your eye on the ball. And that's what he's talking about. He doesn't care about the Saturn. Sometimes I feel that fatherly affection for us, myself included, when I hear some of the ways that we try to approach our Bibles. Like the, the plan to, at some point in this week, open up this book to a random page, read a couple of verses, and kind of wait for the magic to happen. And then we walk away wondering why this book is not relevant and it doesn't speak to our lives. And I feel like the father that's saying, no, 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 please, please don't do that. Please don't do that with this book. Before we even start today, I want to suggest four ways to potentially change or improve or begin the way that you're going to read your Bible this week. Some of you do all these things. Some of you do none of these things. Let me make four suggestions. Take them or leave them. Number one, you must pick a time and a place that you're going to study your Bible. Reading your Bible is like exercise. If you have a vague sense that I'm going to do the couch to 5K program, but I don't have a plan for when I'm going to do it, it will not happen. The same thing is true with our Bibles. If I don't know when I'm going to read it, it will not happen. Pick a set time and place. Number two, please, please, please read whole books of the Bible at the same time. This is not Russian roulette. You can't spin to anywhere in your Bible and hope it will speak to you. Authors put together entire letters and entire books that are made to be read as a whole. You don't have to read it in one sitting, but if you're going to read Ephesians, start with Ephesians 1 and end with Ephesians 6 and work your way through the whole book. Number three, this is obvious, pray. When you pray, you set this book apart from something like a textbook. And we understand when we pray that we can't think our way to transformation like we can think our way into med school. That's not how this is going to work. I'm coming humbly before God to ask him to use these words deep within my heart to expose me, change me, and transform me. And that's not something I can muscle on my own. I come in humility, and I come in prayer. Pick a set time and place, read whole books of the Bible, pray. Fourth, I find it incredibly helpful to write. I get really distracted when I read my Bible and really distracted when I pray. I open up my Bible and I have good intentions, and then I remember uh, an appointment I have, something that's going on later in the day, and I can't focus. I need to have pen and paper so that I can write what I'm reading, thoughts, questions, prayers, and that keeps me focused on what I'm reading at hand. Those are four suggestions that you can use or can jumpstart your own reading of God's Word. Those are just helpful hints. But today I want to dig into 1 Peter chapter 1 and in it we are going to find an exhortation to read our Bibles and then an application that will come by God's power if we are reading and studying our Bibles. Let's start with the exhortation. Our passage is so interesting 
because we're being invited behind the scenes to learn the relationship between Old Testament prophets and the Holy Spirit. If you've ever wondered what that dynamic looks like, 1 Peter uh, shows us just a little bit about that. I want you to think for a moment about the spiritual giants that dominated the Middle Eastern landscape about 2,500 years ago. The Samuels, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, the Ezekiels, the Daniels. We've been studying the book of Jeremiah. We're on pause for this series. We're going to go back to that book and finish it. But I've always wondered what it would have been like to be a Jeremiah. A young, single, no-name person growing up outside in the shadow of Jerusalem who is called by God to be God's mouthpiece to the nations. Wouldn't that be wild? But Peter says these prophets were restless. The Holy Spirit was teasing them, so to speak. He, he gave them this blurred picture that says, the angst that you feel about sin and repentance and faith is going to be answered in the coming Messiah, the Christ. He will suffer and he will be glorified, but the picture they got was blurry and they didn't understand who the Messiah was, when he was coming, and exactly what he would be like and what he would do. They were being teased with this appetizer of the Messiah who is going to come. When they heard that, it was as if little else mattered. The Christ, the Messiah, is coming. God's plan for the ages is on his way. They felt themselves standing at the very threshold of a new era of God's plan of salvation, but the door was cracked and they couldn't see beyond the glories that awaited when the Christ himself would come. It wasn't like these guys had a ton of free time, what with people trying to kill them all the time. But Peter says, when they heard that, they searched and inquired. They read their Bibles and they prayed. They read their Bibles and they prayed. They asked because they wanted to know. And it wasn't just the prophets who were doing this. All around them, the very angels of heaven joined in, verse 12, longing to look. Now that Greek word longing is the same Greek word that's used in our New Testaments in the negative sense of coveting or lusting. A very, very strong word. The angels and the prophets were obsessed. They coveted. They desired. They longed for any morsel they could learn about the person of Christ, his suffering, and his glory. Isn't that incredible? Um, when I was a student at Columbia International University, I was in a missions class, and we had to watch a very dated missionary video called Etau. Has anybody seen that movie, Etau? One person? Two people? Awesome. Great. Well, uh, Etau is spelled E-E-T-A-O-W. You can find it on YouTube, but I want to give you a serious heads up. It's about 40 years old. It is super, super cheesy. Everybody has like mid-thigh shorts and very non-hipster mustaches. And there is a strong dose of paternalism. 
But if you can get past all of that, it's actually pretty incredible to watch. It tells this true story of the Zook family who moved from the States to Papua New Guinea, and they went to a completely unreached people group. An unreached people group is a language, cultural group of people that has zero access to the gospel. They don't know anything about Jesus. They've never heard about Jesus or the Bible. They do not know the way of salvation. And this family moved among them, and they had no written language, so they had to learn their language just by asking questions and developing a sense of their culture. And once the Zook family had kind of mastered their language and understood how they thought about the world, they began to teach this village the Bible. The village was about 300 people, and Mark Zook just sets about day after day gathering the village together, And using pictures and acting out stories from scripture all the way from creation to the resurrection. So they're acting out these things. He's showing them pictures. And the Holy Spirit is obviously moving among these people because as he's sharing story after story after story, there is a strong conviction of sin. The the Mook people understand that God is a holy God and he's a just God and that they are sinners and that they stand under God's just wrath. They get that. Story after story, they hear the Ten Commandments, they hear that the Lord God is holy, they understand that he is a righteous and a just God, they feel that conviction of sin. And the video shoots up through the final days when on the last day, Mark kind of has them act out the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And immediately after that, he takes them back to some of the highlights in the Old Testament, and he shows them story after story, how the Old Testament connects to the New, how the Old Testament had foreshadowed what God was going to accomplish in the New Testament. That last few minutes of that video is worth laboring through the entire thing you would not believe the response of this village. When they heard for the very first time that this same God, righteous and holy, had offered a way of salvation, that even they could be saved and know the one true God, people began screaming and shouting and praising God and laughing and dancing and celebrating. I don't know if the Mook people had practiced crowd surfing before the missionaries came, but that definitely shows up in this video. The people were ecstatic. That word itau is their word that means it is true. And as person after person stood up and gave their testimony and said, I believe these things, the village would shout with them, Itau, it is true, God has done these things. He has offered this way of salvation. It is incredible to watch that kind of response. When I watch that, like I did this week, and I see that reaction in the video, meanwhile I'm in my study and I sit, a few feet away from six different translations of the same book that they heard from, I wonder the disconnect in my heart between what's going on there and what's happening in the Mook people and the prophets and the angels. We have something of enormous value. The Bible that tells us what 
the MOOC and the prophets and the angels long to see, verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Christian, I don't know what else to do except to pray that God would make us hungry for this book. God, I don't have this kind of hunger. And I want this kind of hunger. Make me hungry for this book. I want to pray alongside of the two men on the road to Emmaus. They were talking to Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. And when they discovered it was him, the resurrected Jesus, they said, did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us? Church, we want open Bibles and burning hearts. That's what we want God to deliver to this church. That's what all of us want to experience. That's Peter's exhortation. Hunger for this book. Long for this book. You're in great company when you do that because it's a living and an active book. That's the exhortation to move us towards this book. But Peter also wants to give us an application. There's tons of good things that come out of reading our Bibles, but Peter wants to major on one application. This is one benefit and fruit that God will bring if we become people of this book, and that is the application of love. There is a direct, undeniable connection between spending time in Scripture and sincere, earnest, sacrificial love for other people. The Bible is actually our gateway to mission and friendship. The reason we're talking about the Bible first and then mission and friendship in two subsequent weeks is because the Bible opens the door for us to be the kind of people that would even care to do mission and friendship because it is the gateway, the connection, the foundation of a sincere love that we could have for another person. I find all this beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. So we're skipping ahead a few verses and then look at verse 22. He says this, after he's talked about the word, having purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, Here it is, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. He continues, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now Peter is going to give us a since and a so. And he's going to do that twice. He wants to build a case saying, since these things are true, since you've experienced this, so this will begin to happen in your life. And he'll do that two times. The first time he does that is in verses 22 through 25. 
There's actually a bunch of senses in this passage. He says, going backwards, since you've had the good news preached to you, since the word of the Lord stands forever, since, verse 23, you've now been born again through the living and abiding word of God, if all of that is true, and it is, so, verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since and so. Since this, so that. The way I know you have been spending time in your Bible, Peter says, is not because you're puffed up and proud. It's not because you flaunt your biblical knowledge. It's not because you flex your Bible muscles to those of us in this room who are just going to start for the first time a Bible reading plan this week. No, Peter says. The way I know you're reading your Bible is that you really, truly, and sincerely love other people. That's a dead giveaway that you're a person who reads your Bible. Now it's interesting, I feel like in America we kind of label our churches and our churches get a reputation where they can either be a teaching church or a fellowship church, or a mission church, right? We all kind of have that sense, and if you think about churches in Columbia, you could think, now that's a teaching church over there. These guys are serious about fellowship. These guys are serious about mission. I kind of know which one is which. In other words, you're either a church that teaches stuff, or you're a church that actually does stuff. And Peter says, I don't want to choose between those options. I want the kind of teaching that leads to believing and doing. That's the kind of teaching that the Bible lends itself to. That's the kind of people of the book we want to be. Since this, so that. Since the word abides, so you will love. Now that's very clear, but Peter understands that we're all hard of hearing, so he repeats the entire thing again in a different way in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He does the since and so again. Since, verse 3, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I love that. Are you tasting what I'm tasting in my Bible? That God is good. If you're not tasting that in your Bible, you won't be sharing that with your life. But since you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and also since verse 2, like a newborn infant, you long for pure spiritual milk. I love this. We're hungry for the good stuff. The whole spiritual milk. Not skim milk. I have no idea what skim milk is, but it has no place at the believer's breakfast table. There will be no vegetarians in heaven, and there are no lactose intolerant believers with respect to their Bibles. We long for pure spiritual milk. And since these things are true, so verse 1 Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's 
quite a list. It's hugely convicting, but all of those things have something in common. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, every one of those things lays waste to brotherly love. They are at odds with reading our Bibles, so they must be at odds with loving our neighbors. Let's put all of this together. Everything we heard from 1 Peter 1 and 2. If you're holding your Bibles, you have a book that is and has been coveted by prophets and angels alike. It's not any book. It's a living book. It's an abiding book. It's a book that is full of good news. Everything else in your life is fleeting and fading. Grass and flowers, they'll wither and they'll fall. But this book is going to last forever. We're going to have our Bibles in the new creation. You've been born again by the power of God in this book and you will grow up in salvation by the power of God in this book. The Bible is as important to you as milk is to a newborn infant. If you will read it, if you will study it, if you will memorize it, if you will apply it, God will use it like a sword. He wants to root out ugly things in our lives like malice and deceit so that he can grow good things in our life like sincere love. Christian, come to this living, abiding, forever book and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good, and so that it follows that your book, your word, your mouthpiece is full of the good things about you. I plead with you that we would be people who not don't imagine ourselves to know you and to understand you, but a humble people who are eager to meet you in the pages of this book that you've given us. Would you make us people of the book, and would you make us people of sincere and earnest love? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.